Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. We're here today live, well, I guess it's taped now, uh, at 82 LA, uh, downtown LA in the Arts District. I'm here with Nikki Fisher, welcoming back Nikki Fisher, who created the TV show Extant. Um, so thanks for coming back on, Nikki. Huh. Happy to be back. Here's what I think it's been a lot happened since the last time we talked. I think we talked from really toward the end of the first season, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. It's been a been a wild ride ever since. Yeah, because right after the first season, I know you switched showrunners and yeah. the direction of the show and everything. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit about. Well, there's so much to talk about. So, uh, and I know we delved a little bit in the last podcast on the experience, your your really super inspirational story Thank you. of of getting a, a show made. Which it's it's interesting because we get a lot of emails of, from writers who are like. Where do I go to sell my show, or how do I sell right. my show? And thinking, or even people say, is it good to write? You know, how many episodes should I write? I've I'm written the first season. Should I write a second? That's not the way it works. It's incredibly difficult to one sell a show. Yeah. Get the pilot made, even if you sold it. Get that pilot picked up into a series. Get that series, you know, picked up in terms of, you know, like you not getting canceled after three episodes because your right. ratings suck, <laughs> and then getting a second season on top of. I mean, it's just. It's like getting struck by lightning three times. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny because you, when you mentioned about writing multiple episodes of uh, a show before you before you go out and sell it, and I've, I mean, I've heard that too, and I see because I go to a lot of forums and stuff still, and I read things, and and, and I see a lot of people talk about it, like you know what, well, I'm just going to write the whole ten episodes and then go out and and uh, and, and, I, and there was a, a time when I kind of had that same mentality about it. even when even when I wrote the pilot of. Of extent, I, I wrote a, a, a episode two for myself that really like nobody ever saw. I didn't even really. I kind of we mined some of the ideas from it, you know, in the season. There were some things that were like him going, uh, Ethan going to school and stuff like that that, that were in the second episode of, of of my kind of secret fanfic pilot for my own <laughs> show, for the second, second episode fanfic of my own show. But I knew kind of going into it that um, you know with a showrunner like they, that they would need ownership of the show too, and it would develop and change. And so I never really showed it to anybody, but we did talk about some of the ideas that I had thought of because it was part of the broader like pitch for the season. But um, but it's interesting that going through it now, I realize how crazy of a of, of, of that that is to try to pull that off because there's so many things that can happen to you in the course of the you know development or you know you can write ten you you can spend a year writing you know five or six episodes. And the network has this one problem with your pilot that changes everything right. going forward. Or there's one character that doesn't quite work, you know, two episodes into shooting, and now you got to like, so, so yeah. I mean, I, there's so many variables and things that can change along the way. But now I see, you know, it's 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 tough to even do it on the on the production train when you're three or four scripts ahead. Things are always changing and pieces are always moving and, and that sort of. But that that being said, that was just interesting. I was thinking about that while you're while you were. Talking about that in the intro, but um, but yeah, you know, I got really really lucky. We got our first season, and um, and you know, we had a we had a lot of people watching, but but not you know, there was no slam dunk. So we kind of held our breath. We waited. We got a second season. We went through some big changes. We you know we we changed showrunners. Our our previous showrunner, Greg Walker, who was a, a great friend of mine, who'd been a great leader of the first season. Um, you know, he wanted to go off and do some other things. He wanted to go off and do his own you know his own stuff, and 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 uh, he had some um, you know ideas and other projects and. And so we brought on uh, two new people, uh, Liz Kruger and Craig Shapiro, mm -hmm. and and they came in with a new energy and their own voice, and and the show kind of became, uh, you know, a hybrid of again, you know, a hybrid of their voice and mine, and it, and it became a little pulpier and a little more kind of like 
sort of fun and fast moving and we added this great new character with Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And so a lot of what we did in the second season, you know, we kind of got to improve on. We, you know, we did the post-mortem after season one and said, what do we feel like we could really do better next time? And, uh, and then when these guys came in, that's, you know, we, we all worked together. We came up with a, with a story that, that I was really proud of and, and, and this, this new character who added another, you know, new life to the show. And, and we got to do some more really interesting things with Ethan. We got to add another character, uh, Lucy, uh, who, who we kind of introed a little bit in season one. But we brought her on uh, uh, Kiersey Clemens to play her as a, as a grown-up android uh, humanic. And uh, so yeah, it was awesome. I was really proud of it. And then you know we kind of waited and waited and waited. And then unfortunately, you know, about a month ago, we got the word, right. no season three. Uh, but I, you know, I, I had that. I got the call that morning. My girlfriend and I, we were driving back cross country from. Uh, I'd picked her up in St. Louis. We were driving cross country. I got the call that morning in Denver. And uh, and even when I hung up, I was disappointed and certainly disappointed for like my friends, people that would be, you know, that, that weren't going to have like a job. But but I was mostly just like, you know what? It happened exactly like you said. It was like it was, I got struck by lightning multiple times. I was so lucky that it happened, and now I'm and 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 now I'm back where I gotta you know write my way you know write my way back in the game again, which is like I, it's, I'm happy to be there, you know. Right, right. Um, but you know, and I but I mentioned though that that it's so great when something good happens to genuinely good people. So thank you. You know, getting struck by lightning three times couldn't happen to a nicer guy <laughs> so that's awesome um, but it is funny though it, you're probably the only show TV actual TV show creator that I've heard of actually writing your own fan fiction granted it was before the show but still fan oh yeah for your own show that's hysterical to me no I'm still doing it you know like they were uh, there were so many people that uh, when the show got canceled they were like oh what am I gonna do on my Wednesday nights and you know there's a part of me that was like hey look you know every week I'll do a thousand words. We'll, you know, we'll we'll keep catch up on the characters together, and you know that's a crazy thing to keep up if you're trying to write new stuff. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'll probably end up doing my own, uh, you know, like shipping fan fiction of other characters as I, I go along. Have you ever explored doing? Because I know some shows nowadays they'll um, like everything from Jericho to Buffy. They go into comic books. I, I would love, love, love to do that. In fact, I tried pitching that yeah. in between the two seasons because I knew we were going to take this big time jump forward between season one and season two right. and I was I was pitching CBS and pitching the producers to say this you know we let's let's try to appeal to this core audience you know, people that are like you know genre fans who get into this kind of stuff I'm one of those fans who loves the the, the expanded universe stuff let me write a graphic novel mm -hmm. to, to catch us up on the, what happened in between and uh, I could never really get like traction on it you know right. like, it's like there was never enough sort of like there was never enough sort of enthusiasm behind it uh, and I didn't really have the time or the like the energy to go off and do it by myself and say here like oh, and also because again it was like I, there are all these other creative collaborators involved sure. that I couldn't run off and do it by myself and bring it back you know right. <laughs> like, so um, so unfortunately it didn't happen but maybe it could in the future I mean I would love I would I, I love that as a medium and I think it's such a great art this particular story could work so well oh, yeah yeah and I know stuff like uh, Jericho was I think it was years after the show was canceled. Yeah, you know, a few years after, so it wasn't like an immediate thing. Well, I mean, there's still, I mean, there's a there's a run of Twilight Zone that just came out that I love, and X Files did a run, a, you know, season mm -hmm. in comic books too. I mean, most of the stuff, in fact, most of the comic books that I buy are based in shows or movies that I was a fan of, and I just get into them because I like digging deeper into the stories and the characters. Right, of a show so, that you were a fan of, right? So yeah, so even something like Twilight Zone that hasn't been on the air for. You know, his last incarnation was what, you know, 10, 12 years ago or whatever. Right. 
they're they're doing it too. Right. So you did a post mortem after the first season of Extant um, to kind of figure out where you wanted to go and, and what what you really loved about the show, what you felt you know you could change, and you know everything. So now let's do a post mortem of the whole show. Yeah. Just as as in terms of as a writer though. Um, what are the things that like you come away from the show um, having changed as a writer, having learned as a writer? What is you walk away from the show? How you know? What was yeah, that absolutely. Like? I mean, I'll tell you a couple things. Well, one, like I had so many people ask me, like, what's the biggest thing that Jim learned? And, and I, and I, I may have even said this the first time around. It's that, that the biggest thing I've learned is that like it's a miracle anything is ever great. But it takes so much for so many things to line up, you know, all the stars to align the right way. Right. You get the, you know, you, you knock it out of the park in your scripts. You get the perfect cast. They have great chemistry. You bring on directors who really understand it and get it and, it, and, and everything just clicks. And I mean, there's so few shows that reach the, 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 the absolute pinnacle of that. You know, like things like The Soprano, which are like Breaking Bad, or even a Better Call Saul. It's like, there's just some alchemy there that, that makes it all work, you know? And so, um, so it's a miracle anything's ever great, and, 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 and to a certain extent that anything's like even really good, <laughs> right? Because so much can happen, right? And you know, even and and I and I'll put that on my own shoulders first, which is that when you're trying to tell a story over 13 hours, it's really easy to get lost in the woods, and it's easy to it's easy to get get hung up on things that you're interested in that maybe aren't going to be as interesting for the audience or that too. Like you know, I would say in season one. I was really, uh, um, yeah, I was really uh, excited about the big mystery and the big themes and stuff like that too. And what we realized at the end of season one is that we had, we had to a certain extent neglected some of the relationships, and that there was a need for it to be a little, you know, for lack of a better word, soapier. Mm-hmm. You know, like Game of Thrones is like a, a soap opera in a right. sense. You know, like Battlestar Galactica was kind of a soap opera. Right. And so our show, our show in the first season didn't quite have that and so we really like you know there was a lot of that in the uh, in the second season can I swear on this yeah sure <laughs> what, what, what I started to jokingly refer to as like fucking and fighting right because it was like there was a lot of that missing from season one there's a lot of it in season two there's a lot of fucking and fighting right. and that's the stuff that people like I don't know it's just it's the stuff that people keep coming back to uh, you know as, as, as interested as I get in the characters and and the big themes and exploring all that stuff you know, there needs to be that that emotional thread that's pulling people back week after week, and and not that I didn't know that. I mean, it's like common sense to you know to know that, but but you get preoccupied with searching for other things and the stuff that you're interested in as a storyteller, and and, um, and so that was a big takeaway for me from season two, and and it's affected everything that I've done and pitched going forward. Things I'm writing right now to go and pitch is really taking a look at that and go. What, what am I laying the groundwork for the emotional stories here, but the interpersonal relationships and things like that between characters? And then when I look back, you know, of course, all the stuff that I love, you know, even the X Files, you know, I was never like a big person who was into the will they or won't they uh, romantic relationship with Mulder and Scully, but their personal relationship and how they grew and what each person represented, you know, I was totally invested in that. That's why I tuned into the show. So, um, so yeah, I'm trying to be conscious of those kind of things. Um, in terms of other stuff, it's like, uh, you know, I, I, I can always look at when I get in trouble as a writer personally, I can't even speak to the writer's room or like the showrunners or anybody else, but me personally, even the stuff I'm doing now, when I get away from the core, like basic dramatic principles of who is this person, what do they want, 
what happens if they don't get it? You know, why, you know, why, what, what happens if they don't get it now? You know, like, when I move away from that stuff, that's when I get into trouble. And the closer that I, more I simplify and boil it down to those essential things, it drives every scene one on top of the other, and and uh, and, I'm, and I, I stay out of the woods that way. So it's like, I think both season one and season two are a constant kind of reminder of like, the times that things sort of sailed through or that everybody was happy with the script was when I held to that, you know, like a man in a hurricane, you know, like, <laughs> and when I got into trouble, it was when I started thinking about, well, we need to explain this, or we need information here, or we need, or like, you know, we need this for the mystery here. It's like, that all is, you know, extra stuff. Right. So, there's a, there's a quote, I think, it, I, I, I'm going to miss, I'm going to, attributed to the wrong person but I think it was Albert Einstein who said you know like anybody any fool can make something more complicated right. but it takes like real genius to make something more simple and so uh, to, you know it's simpler and, and, and clearer and so that that it, like that's a like a lifelong journey to keep to that so that's a lot of the stuff I learned from season one and season two no that's great and to springboard off that um in terms of your first point of it takes a lot of things have to go right in order for a show to be great. Yeah. Um, just to springboard of that, not only, I always use sports references. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but like you could have the greatest football team and think you're bound for the Super Bowl, but with injuries and, you know, uh, trades and uh, the ball fumbled one direction as opposed to rolling another direction, a, a critical penalty at a critical time or whatever could alter the season Absolutely. at any moment in time. And, you know, so you were talking about, you know, the cast and the writers and the filmmakers, but it's also the marketing department. You know, everything has to go right, not to make a show necessarily great, but if a show doesn't get good ratings, it doesn't come back, so you never get to see that right. whole experience. So how many shows, based on, you know, poor marketing or even being ahead of their time, so to speak, don't get the opportunity to continue and become this iconic show and literally just kind of fade away, not getting to tell all the stories that would have been amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, I think about I think about Breaking Bad because yeah. I was a person who I, I, I didn't watch the first season of Breaking Bad. Maybe even I, I don't even know if I jumped in until season three, right? Because the marketing for it was like you know the dad from Malcolm in the Middle right. who was standing in his like tidy whities right. with a gun. And there was something about it. I was like, ah, I don't know if I need to see, you know, like to see this. And 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 you know, I didn't jump in until until you know season three. And by then, I was like, what? what? <laughs> I was the biggest idiot for not giving this a shot. But I think that was also one of those shows that had the time to really hit its stride and find right. its like and and to really click and 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 you know, I think the people on you know like cable or basic cable and maybe now to the, to like Netflix and Hulu and those kind of things, you maybe get more of an opportunity to. To, to, to find your stride and to really figure things out on the fly, whereas like you know on the big broadcast, you like you you may not you know you're lucky to get a whole season right if you're if you stumble out of the gate right so and again I think you know if, we, if we'd been on the fall we might have been axed <laughs> two episodes three episodes in you never right. know right because we were on the summer maybe we got a little extra time to figure it out right because I know like. On NBC, uh, Blindspot did yeah. incredibly well. Picked Absolutely. up, the, you know, the, the second season already, I think. Yeah. Um, but yet, the player, which was that Wesley Snipes' right um, vehicle, uh, I guess they were 
were got cut back. Right? Got yeah. cut back. Yeah, and they just basically were in the middle of, you know, they're finishing up their tenth episode, and they said, you know what, those last three, we're not going to shoot them at all. Just oh man, I was watching. There's a great documentary, you know, showrunners. I don't know if you've seen this yeah, documentary yeah, it's or not. Fantastic. But uh, you know, there's a, they're they're following a showrunner in that where like they pull the plug like right in the middle of like the shooting day. You right. know, you got to like. As a as the executive producer, you got to walk on the set and tell everybody like, yeah, so, you know, sorry, we're all going home. And right. that's like that is that is heartbreaking and terrifying. You know, <laughs> you know, at the same time, it's like, you know, that 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 is a as a possibility out there. You know, right. Um, and then I wanted to also mention uh, because we get this a lot. We get a lot of emails. Again, I, I mentioned it before. People asking, how do I sell my script? Or some of the worst ones. Maybe I shouldn't say worse, but some of the ones that seem the least sort of knowledgeable. Rooted in reality, right? Right, exactly. Or rooted in reality. That's probably a better example. Um, saying, I have this great idea. I need a writer to write. Sure. But you know what? But what you were talking about, I think, illustrates very well in that the idea is all good and well, but it's the execution that makes you know a, a story great. Absolutely. I mean, that's 99% of the right. work. I mean, ideas, you can look at it, you know, you can look at the LA Times today and come up with 10 great ideas sure. for for movies. And and, and I, I mean, not to say the ideas are the easiest thing, they're not. Because, like, a really great idea, something that is instantly, like, not even original, but, but fresh, again, for its time, or, like, that is, and also some marketable, something that other people are going to get excited about, it's... That that's a tough thing to like to, to come up with. But right. then the the real work of it is the hundreds of hours and thousands of hours of sitting down and figuring it out and putting it down. And, and that's something that happens to writers a lot, and it's happened to me, which is uh, the people you know people say, "Hey, man, I've got this great idea for a script. You write it. Right. I'll give you the idea. You write it, and we'll split it 50-50. <laughs> yeah, like, like, well, well, that's like that's all the work, you know. Right. And in fact, there's only one time in my life where somebody said, "Hey, I've got this great idea for a script." And I heard it, and I said, "I want to help you write that. Right. I, I want to be involved in this." And it, because it's so much work, and I have a backlog of so right. many stories of my Absolutely. own. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not going to live nearly long enough to write the scripts that right. I already have. You know, that are your own ideas. That are my own ideas. Right. You know, and things that I'm like. So, um, so, so, yeah, that's a tough thing. But, but, the, but that's a great thing I think about screenwriting, which is that. And I think that separates people who kind of like on a lark or, or people who see it as like a lottery ticket. Right. As opposed to people like, this is the career that I want. This mm -hmm. is the life that I want to have. Which is that if that's what you really want, you'll sit down and you'll learn to do it. And and there's a format. You yep. know, and there's, there, are, there are certain basic rules and things that you can learn early on to get you going. And then, you know, it took me 20 years to write something that people were compelled to to call me into a room and, and you know or somebody else was compelled to buy um, you know I had 20 years and thousands and thousands of horrible horrible pages of writing before I got to that point but I wanted it more than I've ever wanted anything right. and so I just kept that I kept that and so so I think that's the thing for anybody that's like writing in with those questions like they're gonna be you know you're gonna get a mix I'm sure of people who we're just looking at it as a lottery ticket. Like I got this great idea, and if only somebody would write it and make it a movie, I'm sure I could be a millionaire. Right. You know. And then there are other people who are like, I'm, they're just at the very beginning, and 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 they want it so bad. And and if they want it that badly, they'll figure it out. Right. You know. They'll they'll start with McKee. They'll start with Sid Field. They'll start, and then they'll they'll keep on going. So. So and good luck to those people. You know, for doing it too, because it, it happens. You know? Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Oh. <laughs> um. <laughs> No, and it does happen, and I think, but 
we encourage those that yeah, uh, absolutely. to pursue it, but to, to do it in a smart way, to, to, to look at it like a career, not absolutely. as a lottery ticket. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like there's no substitute for sitting down and doing the work. Right. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that is the... That's why I, I, mean, I was watching on, you know, people uh, give Max Landis a hard time because he's, right. you know, like on Twitter and things like that because his dad's a famous filmmaker and they think, but you know, he's a guy who sat down and did the work. He right. wrote dozens and dozens of scripts. They got better and better. He got better and better. And eventually somebody made one. It was a really great movie. And now he's, and now he's working. And so I, I think that that's like that's the equalizer. It's like time in the chair, right? Reading scripts, writing, watching great movies, and, and right. just keeping at it, keeping at it, keeping at it is can can get you over the line. Right. I mean, he may have had you know more opportunities than the average individual. Sure, there might have been a door open for somebody to read it, but yeah. Right, and he may have grown up around that sort of yeah. environment, but still, you have to deliver when push comes to shove. Totally. You know. Uh, Nepotism and you know stuff is not going to get you blockbuster movies and Academy Awards. Right. So well, even look, he, and, he, and even if he grew up on movie sets, to like where it was like real and tangible to him, you know, I'm I grew up in a movie theater. You know, I grew up watching E.T. and Star Wars over right. and over and over again, and, and like, uh, and and so we all have the, we all have in a sense the tools to. Uh, the sort of inherent nature of storytelling right. in our DNA, kind of, you know, like we we're born, we live, we die. You know, we've got a beginning, middle, and end to our lives. And so, uh, you know, there's there's winter, spring, uh, summer, and fall. It's, so it, it's sort of all around us in nature and in our lives. And sort, so we we all kind of know it intuitively. It's just like, are you willing to sit down and and do it over and over and over again until you get better? You know, right. And that's the thing. It's not just even just sitting down there writing a script yeah. and thinking you're going to sell it, but the process of learning to be a good writer. Well, I'll tell you this. I, you know, I wrote my, I, I wrote so many scripts early on, and every one of them I thought, okay, this one's ready. You Me know, too. If Absolutely. I just had an agent, if I could just get yeah. it through the door, somebody, and I sent out query letters, and I sent out, and it, and, and nothing happened, you know, or I would enter contests, and I would get a little further than the last time, but, and every time I thought, man, I could, this is gold, why right. doesn't anybody see it? And now I look back, go, I, I was nowhere near ready. Right, <laughs> exactly. yeah, like, oh. right, right. right. <laughs> I, write, I wrote stuff today that is not near ready, you know, it's like, you know, so. Yeah, just I think it's, that's, that's it. It's like you got to be willing to like push past it and work long enough till you get to the you know to what's great. Right. I'm obsessed with uh, the musical Hamilton right now. I don't know what that is. It's well, it's this new musical on Broadway. It's about Alexander Hamilton, and it's by this guy Lin Manuel Miranda, and uh, it's like it's it's all told in uh, rap and hip hop. Wow. So it's a story of Alexander. All the founding fathers are all played by African American, Hispanic actors, uh, and it's it's fascinating. But I saw an interview with him, and he said that as he was writing it the opening number, it took him like a year to write it because every couplet had to be the best two lines that he'd ever written in his life. You know, like that was like the level that he was aiming for and I think that that's, and that was inspiring to me to go, man, I feel today I thought about that when I was sitting and writing, I was like, this this scene has got to be better than any scene I've ever written. You right. know, and if I can pull that off today, then I've done God's work. I can go, you know, to Bar 82 <laughs> and play some Donkey Kong. You right, know? right, right, right. <laughs> and, and I think that, you know, Woodfield saying, if you uh, shoot for the star, aim for the stars, and even if you don't make it, you'll land on the moon. Absolutely. Like that. Absolutely. You know, everything really you do is not going to be perfection, but if you don't at least aim for, aim high, so to speak, then, you know, who was I talking to? I was talking to... I think it was a manager. I can't remember who it was specifically, so I'm not going to attribute it. I'll attribute it to Einstein, too. <laughs> yeah, Einstein I, said, yeah. right. Um, that 
he doesn't want to work with writers who who like to write who or, or can write good enough. It's like you know, they, yeah. I've written something. It's good enough. It's good enough. Let's just sell it. It's good enough. They want writers who this needs to be great. Yeah, it needs to be absolutely freaking fantastic. Those are the writers because you know they're going to consistently work. It's not they're not lazy writers. They're going to continually get better. Each script is going to get better. They're going to bust their ass. And you know as well as I do that when is something finished? When is a script finished? Yeah. Well, when you start shooting it, basically, you're going to keep right, writing exactly. until that point. Exactly. You know, you, I mean, like even uh, in the editing room, you know. Yeah, you're going to write. You, you continue to tweak, and I'm sure that there are things you've written that made you know because I know you did some independent films and stuff like that that you look back. I wish I would change this. I would change this. That's, Absolutely. Those are the people I think that really grow and get better because they're constantly striving to be the best. I mean, I, I, like I, it's it's a constant battle for me right now because it's there's a like I have this sort of like impulse. You know, I write something and I want to share it right away. Mm-hmm. You know, I want people to read it, and especially now that I've got people who will read it and who can maybe do something with it. Right. There's even more of a sense of like, oh, I just want to get it out there. But so I have to kind of fight myself to go, is this is this ready yet? Like, and, and you know, and I've. I've seen my. I've seen what happens when I send something out before it's ready. Even now, right. it needs that extra like incubation time to make it to make it not good but great. Right. And, and that gets all the difference in the world. You know, it's like it's the difference between like rounds and rounds of notes right. and, and and not. You know, it's like because like you can, you can you can kill something in its infancy by sending it out too early because right. you didn't execute the idea in the best possible way. Because well, you're playing in the major leagues right now. I mean, your scripts are going out and landing on the, you know, the desks of top execs, producers, and you're in, in the same competition. You know, the, the same, right. you know, with J.J. Abrams <laughs> right, of the exactly. world. You oh, know, God. your script and his are going to sit on the same table at some point. You know what I right, mean? Right. Exactly. Although maybe J.J. just does his own. So you just you see J.J. just greenlight it, but you know what I mean. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so yeah, you have to be the best because they are going to. Uh, you know, when I wrote um, the pilot for Extant, I was I was watching a ton of Doctor Who, and uh, and it was I was binging a lot of it. And the showrunner Stephen Moffat, he's one of my favorite writers, still one of my favorite writers. And at the time, and also I was watching Sherlock. Okay. And so time. both both shows were so well written. And I and I I put a, a post-it note on the corner of my monitor. It said WWSMD. What would Stephen Moffat do? And that and I might have even said this in the last podcast. I've told this story a couple times, but but I. That was like my. I kind of looked at that and said, "What? That's like my bar. I want to try to get to that. If I got to, I want to be as good as that guy." Right. And so I was always aiming, like every scene. If I get stuck, I go, "What would Stephen Moffat do?" And go, and every time it was just like he would write it better. You know, like he would, he would keep going, keep going until this was better and better. Right. So I, that's what I did. Yeah, and you know, even if you don't achieve that when you're working on a specific thing at that time. Just the fact that you're aiming for that, you will get, you know, you'll get there. Yeah, it's like, uh, I think it's like working out, you know, yeah. too. It's like oh, that time is 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 means something. It has a, it has an impact. Whether it's like you know the time you spent working that problem out, I always find this too. Maybe you find it. It's like I can I can bang my head against a nail all day long on a script or a problem in a scene and walk away from it the next morning, wake up and go, oh, I got it. Right. Absolutely. And that wouldn't have happened had I not put in the the day before of. Like going down all these different avenues and writing three pages that really sucked, and it's like you know, like I wake up the next day. It's not, it's not magic. It's that I, I've been working on the knot all day before, right. and you know, my. But, but the, also the fact that you're not allowing that knot to just, you know what? It's yeah. fine. It's good enough. Right. You know, it's not good enough. No, no. It's like you the know. you know the pee under the mattress. I'm using all these metaphors, but you know, it's the <laughs> pee under the mattress. You know when it's like not. 
Yeah. Where it's not right, and if you know, you're never gonna get if you're if you care enough about it, you're never gonna get a good night's sleep until you right. figure it out. Right. Um, and now that, um, well, actually, before I move on to what's going on now, I wanted to talk about Extant specifically. Um, did, was that your focus in TV? Because I know some people focus on features, some people focus on TV. Uh, you know, oftentimes people will try both, but what was your focus before, you know, when you were still in that sort of aspiring stage? It was all, it was all features. Okay. You know, I pretty much had done, well, not, I can't say all features, I'd done a lot of theater too. Mm -hmm. But I was making, you know, micro-budget features, I was writing mostly scripts. Uh, the stuff I was entering, like the Nickel Fellowship and things like that, I entered Project Greenlight 2, they were all feature contests. And. But that was like during the time that TV was really rising at this new, you know, like new golden age kind of thing. And I came to that, that moment like everybody else where I realized I was watching more TV than I was going to the movies. Uh, you know, like I was starting to binge things, you know, watching, <laughs> watching a week of Lost or a week of Alias, you know, where I, like, uh, and not going to the movies. And so, and so, uh, but I also came to the realization that there would be a lot more jobs in television. The idea of selling this, the big spec of the feature spec seemed less likely than getting one of the the many jobs and you know as a staff writer or something right. like that or getting in the door as a writer's assistant um, and so I kind of knew like well maybe that's my way in because as much as I, I love television I want it and, and and I want to work in television um, and maybe there's more opportunity there at the moment so so yeah so I really like when I, it wasn't until I moved out here in 2011 that I made that switch and then the next step was realizing like oh my, I love television I don't, know how to, I don't know how to write television, so <laughs> it's different. Yeah, yeah, so I've well, been absolutely. writing full-length plays, I've been writing features, right. but telling a story in, in uh, you know, an, oh, in a pilot that broken up into acts, and, and there's showmanship involved, you know, you want your act breaks and you're this, and so, so I had to spend time learning that, and what's kind of interesting now is, is that I've had the opposite, which is in the month that, uh, that since the show wasn't renewed, uh, and I've been finishing up these feature projects, I've had to kind of unlearn some TV things and relearn the feature stuff, which is that, okay, I gotta tell this over 100 pages now, not 50, Right. you know? And so I've had to kind of go back and develop those muscles again. I hadn't written a feature in two years. And you have to tell it in 100 pages, not, what is 13 hours of pages? <laughs> right, exactly, you know I mean? exactly. Yeah. yeah, there's no coming, coming back for episode two. Right. Although what's interesting now, I think, in the feature world is that so many, um, are, you know, people are looking for things that are, you know, franchises that are almost like, you know, multi-million, that would be a big budget, $150 million right. television series they are going to play out over three or four episodes. You know, if you look at all, you know, like the Marvel Universe and things like that, or like Star Wars, like, they're almost like television shows. They just cost $200 million <laughs> right. each, each right. episode. They come out every four years, you know, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now... So you're, you're sort of switching your mind. When you were on X would you were you working on feature stuff or TV other TV stuff? I would just to, just for my own sanity's yeah. sake, I would write every weekend. So during so we were working Monday through Friday on the show, and typically I'd always have some kind of like homework, either reading or writing right. or noting or whatever on the weekends. But I always carved out three or four hours on Saturday and Sunday to write new stuff, to work on feature stuff, to work on. Um, and there were a couple weekends where I worked on sh sh scratching down new TV ideas and things too. 
because I always knew, well, one, I always knew that like this, this could be over at any moment. <laughs> like, you know, we could not get another, yeah, I don't want to like start from scratch. And so, but the other thing was that like being in a writer's room means that you're, and, and having showrunners, you know, my position means that you're always creating with, you know, eight other, 10 other people. Right. You're creating a story with them and there's a lot of collaboration involved and there's a lot of like, your, you know, it may have started with my vision, but now it's opened up. It's it, it's everybody's sandbox at this point. Mm -hmm. So um, so writing my own stuff on the weekend, new stuff, was a way of just having it be mine again too, gotcha. and like getting back to like stuff in the industry, and it, and, it, and it was really fun, and in, in a way. And so, uh, not that the show wasn't fun, but just but it was there was like a freedom to it. Right. It wasn't going to get turned in and noted by anybody. Right. You know, it right, wasn't right, going right. to like there was nobody who was who was going to buck up against an idea, and you know, we we're going to spend the day pulling it apart. It was like it was just fun, and so I managed to like keep things kind of moving down the field. To use, you know, to use a sports analogy too, mm -hmm. on the weekends and you know at nights whenever I had time, I would just write and write and write. Um, so that when the show was when the show was canceled, I was able to kind of pick right up and jump right in and 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 go go kind of crazy on that stuff. So um, so yeah, so I'm hoping and I you know I'm hoping to have the experience now because. I had this wonderful, amazing experience in television, mm -hmm. but I really would, I mean, I, I would love to, to, to write for a studio and, to, and to, to do a big studio movie, to have that experience. I mean, even like, you know, last night I was driving home, I took my girlfriend to LAX, I took the long way home, and, uh, and I drove by Warner Brothers specifically and, you know, like, and a couple of the other studios just to look at the, you know, look at the water towers and go, okay, that, I gotta, like, yeah. I, it's like visualizing, I gotta get to that next, you know, right, and I right. wanna do that, so. Because you're a filmmaker too. Uh, so is that something you're looking to pursue, like write and direct something, or are you just taking one step at a time? Yeah, one you know, for them, one for me. Directing, right? Exactly, <laughs> right, right. Which my favorite of that is like Michael Bay, you know, like his like Transformers, and then what it was, you know, Pain and Gain or whatever that was right. called. Like, um, uh, his one for him and one for the studio. Um, my, you know, I, I was never a really good director. I, I was kind of like I'm directing was kind of a means to an end, which is. As a writer, because I started as an actor, and I started writing stuff for me to do as an actor, and then I really started liking the writing, and I kind of started directing just so I could get my stuff made, and so I was never, I like, I always loved working with the actors, and, and even going through the season on the show, watching the directors, that's my favorite part of it, so it reminds me of being in a rehearsal room, which is like, you know, for a theater, for, for a show in theater, which is where I started. Right. Uh, I went to school for musical theater, I don't know if you remember, if we talked about this, but, but, uh, so, you know, doing summer stock and stuff, like that was my favorite time was being in the rehearsal room. By the time the show opened, I was already kind of bored with the show. Right. So, um, so, um, so I love working with the actors. I love being in that environment. But the, the technical side of it and moving the camera, it's always amazing to me. Like I would watch some of these directors come in and just intuitively know, like they speak a, they speak a language that, I, that is still foreign to me. You know, like, well, I mean, I think that uh, Steven Spielberg, I mean, he's the guy, he's like the greatest example of this, I think, right now, which is, he just speaks the language of cinema. Every right. movement of the camera, every every bit of blocking, everything is a, a means to an end, and, and and to tell the story, and I don't have that intuitively. You know, like, I, um, and so, so there's a part of me that also thinks like, man, I'll never, I'll never have that. And uh, so if I, you know, if you can't, but it's a little like saying like, well, I can never read Michael Jordan, so why pick up a basketball? Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, and so so really, I'm so focused on the writing part of it right now and the opportunities, and I love it so much. Like it's still my favorite thing is when I'm, you know, I can sit down by myself with the laptop or a pad and pen and right. and create something from scratch, create something out of thin air onto a you know on a blank page and. 
and then hand it to somebody you know who, who knows what they're doing with it. We had um, this guy Miguel Sapochnik who directed the uh, finale of uh, season one, and he also directed um, he directed a really great episode of Game of Thrones this season, the Hard Home episode. Um, and and watching him work, he's another one of those guys that he would just sort of like kind of know like I got this piece here and I'll get this piece there and we'll flip around and I'll get this and he could see it all in his head mm -hmm. and uh, and yeah I just feel like that's like I'll never I'll never ever have that right. <laughs> it's like learning the code it. you know I I mean, you feel the same? have you yeah. thought about it? do you direct well I mean I went to film school at USC all right and so I you know I've done short films and things like that and it's it's I 100% agree with you I love working with actors because you love the storytelling and you yeah. love seeing the characters come to life but you know in terms of like camera placement and blocking and you know angles shot selection and all these kinds of things it's just like I don't have that in me to I'm not as interested in that portion right. the technical portion you know so because of that it doesn't come naturally but yet some of the greatest I think screenwriters have some amazing moves like Steven Zalian you know sure. brilliant writer and then doing Searching for Bobby Fischer or Frank Darabont you know Absolutely. I think they can they can do both I just Think that they are two different skill sets and sometimes uh very rarely are they both in the same person but absolutely you know, they can translate some on well, some yeah I mean, those guys like you know tarantino and those kind of guys oh, yeah, they no, sort absolutely. of like it's all connected to one right to one sort of thing and i think you know, or like have uh, you read a, a tarantino script though yeah they're sort of out of control oh yeah i mean he's a mad genius <laughs> but you know if, if you were just to take him on face value as a writer as a screenwriter you'd be like this is insane this is amazing but it's insane. how we would have shoot this but yet he's you know like i said it's for well, him well i think it's for him it's like you know he's right like he he thinks of the script as literature absolutely in a sense you know like it's got it doesn't read like a you know a lot of people write as i kind of write like this too it's a it's a blueprint for a absolutely you know that's the way for a movie it's so. supposed to be right exactly right. but his is like yeah it's it's so beautiful that's what i mean that's what i love about him because for all of the people who tell you know guys like us that you know or uh, you know screenwriters and TV writers and you know like, here are the rules and you got to follow these and you don't hit this by page this and you know if you don't have your inciting incident here right. and this like that guy's stuff is just is like watching somebody who's totally free you know who's operating yep. totally from instinct and intuition and and, and free of all those rules and God, and God bless him because that's inspiring to me to watch that and go look. Doesn't all have to be that way, right? You know, and so when I, if I want to like push the edge a little bit myself, like I, I can. I'm not him, right? But he's inspiring me to do it in my own way, right? You know? Absolutely. You know, and, and I think people like him or the Cohen brother, you know, people who break all these rules, I think it's their rules are there for a reason. Absolutely. Um, and so when the average writer or filmmaker breaks rules oftentimes they don't know what they're doing and it turns out really really poorly right but when you're so good at what you do and so knowledgeable about cinema and not even the sense that like him reading a bunch of screenwriting books or going to film school because he didn't right um, but just understanding cinema watching thousands and thousands of movies and understanding storytelling and what works right having um, his DNA absolutely I think they're breaking they don't necessarily know the rules per se but they know what works and what doesn't work and, absolutely and then they or just you know can go out and do what they do which is just that's why i mean i kind of like i i go see both of those you know cohen brothers tarantino those guys i see them opening weekend for those sort of reasons alone like i always go see the first you know even something like like death proof was inspiring to me because 
it was like it was a story that was told in a structure in a way I'd never seen before. Right. You know, and it, and it just like even if it just goes makes you go back and look at your own thing just slightly differently and you know and make you a little more courageous in it. You know, there always gonna be there's always there always gonna be people who say you know, like that's not the standard, it's not right. the norm. You gotta do like this and and, and you know. That never goes away, even right. once even once you're in, <laughs> like even once you're through the gate, <laughs> it still happens, you know. Right. Um, but uh, but you know you can go look at guys like that and go, you know what, you can get there. Right, absolutely. <laughs> That's absolutely. what he did. You may ha- you may not you know you may have to be a genius to do it, but you can get there. <laughs> and I think that you know in terms of like breaking rules, in terms of I don't even think they look at it that way. Just, no, they exactly. Just tell their story. They're not, and it's not even. I mean, I don't know for a fact that that people tell them no at this point, but I mean, right. they just seem so fearless. Absolutely. Like, I'm gonna do whatever I right. want. Right, it's not like the, uh, what's the movie, the, um, is it The Five Instructions? Have you seen that? I haven't. I think, who's no. the guy, uh, the, is it Lars von Trier, maybe, okay. uh, who made You Answer Christ too? but there was like, he had a friend of his who made a film, and he challenged him to make it in five different ways, and give him sort of different rules. Or right. And it was like artificially imposing a set of, you know, I, I'm going to do it this way now or this right. way, and with these with these limitations or these. And uh, see, so yeah, you're right. It's not, I don't think like they think of it that way at all. It's just that is their response to the muse. Right. Uh, um, it's a beautiful thing. No, absolutely. Great. Um, now, uh, we were talking earlier before we started the podcast about uh, your latest project, Blacklist Reading. Yeah. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. That well, like? It kind of goes back to sort of what we were talking about earlier. Now, yeah. that, that idea uh, when I told you that. There's been sort of one time I where somebody has come up and said like, "Hey, I have a great idea for a movie," and right. I was like, "I have to help you write this. Let's do it." And uh, it was a friend of mine. Uh, his name's Brian DePetris. We met in New York, uh, doing um, both of us playing Santa Claus uh, uh, in New York at a major department store there. Oh, not not on, in theater. Right, not in theater. In a yeah, for like a Santa uh, Santa Land this kind is a of great place. Story. I want to hear more. <laughs> it is. It's crazy. Um, and so he and I, um, we started writing, he told me the basic idea of it, he'd been writing it as a play and uh, for his theater company, and we just started meeting up, and we would meet at like, you know, Chipotle, Starbucks, or wherever, and, yeah. and just start writing and kicking back and forth, and we wrote this spec. I moved out here, oh, we, all, we did a couple readings of it with people we'd work with at Santa Land, and, and um, it was and it was really fun, we had a great time, it was very, it's, uh, it's like this um, alternative history origin of Santa Claus. And um, based, it's like the, the the secret that the North Pole doesn't want you to know. The secret origins of Christmas. And so, um, I moved out here and in early 2013 when I was still trying to break in and kind of like I didn't really know anybody in the industry, so I was taking every avenue that I could. And the Blacklist website had just started to pop up, and uh, I put it up on the Blacklist website. I got good reviews. You got you know got a you know eight rating or above, and got sent out to some people. And, um, and then when the accident happened, I pulled everything down off the blacklist. I'd signed with an agent and a manager. I didn't right. want things out there. But, um, but they started this table read podcast, and we got invited to be the Christmas episode for this table read podcast. So it's coming up, and I think it's going to be up sometime in December. Cool. It's called The Winter King, and it's this big, uh, big kind of family epic adventure. We always talk about it like Pixar meets Lord of the Rings, but about the origins <laughs> of Santa Claus. And, um, and it's got a great cast. It's got Haley Joel Osment. Um, Jason Ritter, uh, Mae Whitman, there's uh, all kinds of great, Abraham Ben Ruby, Christian Johnson, there's all kinds of great people in it, and uh, and we got to do the recording of it, and it was, it was fantastic, and Brian even got to, because he came in and somebody else, somebody else couldn't make it, one of the actors, so Brian, who's an actor himself, got to slip in and read alongside all these other great 
great actors and got to read some of it. Um, so yeah, so that'll be up for download uh, on the Blacklist table read. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. And then some other, then I'm really just like, kind of excited to see what happens with it after that. It'll, yeah. be a, it'll be a fun thing to see the journey it takes after this. Yeah, I mean, especially with holiday films, yeah. you feel like a lot of them are, are simply sort of holiday family comedies or something like that. And I know there's like someone coming out recently called Krampus or something like it's a horror film. Mm -hmm. But you don't usually see them in sort of like a grand scale sort of fantasy Pixar world. Right. Kind of, that's kind of a new take on it. So that's kind of cool. It is, but you know what's funny is like there since this since right. we we wrote it, we've seen all these other things. Like there was something that sold with the guys who made Kantiki. It's called A Winter's Night with a K, K N I G. Oh, gotcha. It's like Santa Claus, based in like North mythology. I don't really know how how heavy or gritty that is. Or, right. or, or I mean, ours is really fun. It's got penguins and elves, <laughs> talking polar bears, right, right. snowmen. You know, so it's a, it's ours is ours is sort of big family right. family fair kind of stuff. But um, but now it's it's there there are a few more of those things out there. I'm excited about Krampus because it's got it is does seem like a horror movie, but it's got Adam Scott and it's got you know yeah, yeah. really you know kind of a. A really cast. funny cast. Well, yeah, I saw the cast and I saw it as, you know, I watched the trailer and I saw it seemed like it started off as like one of these family, right. kind of like, like Home Alone kind of thing. Right, and then exactly. It took, yeah, it took a weird, you know, dark I, turn to I kind of love that stuff that's sort of been genre like that, you know, like from Dust Till Dawn or those, right. those things that you take that weird kind of genre turn. It's like people, we don't do it enough. I think that's what makes them kind of unique and special. Absolutely. They do that stuff. It makes it stand out. It's like, oh, remember that. Like, you can still remember from Dust Till Dawn because of... Absolutely. You know, it starts off... Uh, weird, like, you know, what the hell kind of thing in the middle where you okay, now we... Right, exactly. Vampires? What? You know, it turns from this, like, this gritty sort of heist kind of thing. <laughs> right. Like, this, like, horror, you know... Absolutely. B-movie-esque. Yeah. Tom Savini and yeah. all the gore. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty cool. Um, what... In terms of, of your career, when you got your first big extant check, what was the first thing you bought? I have to ask that. <laughs> well, I tell you this: I bought a car. Okay. Uh, a Bugatti. No, I'm just kidding. I bought. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. No, no. I bought a Ford Edge um, because my girlfriend and I, mm -hmm. we had. Here's a weird story. I don't know if I ever told anybody this. Um, I, you know, outside of like my, you know, people who know me. But I had a job for a while with this motorcycle company called right. Can Am. And you, you hosted a sh show for them online, I right? did, oh, I did. Well, it was kind of like I would make make these short videos and yeah. write articles and shoot pictures up. But you're a very and good that, host. I watched a few of them. Oh, uh, thank you very yeah. much. Well, you know, I got it because of another contest. I entered a contest. I won the motorcycle, which is this great three-wheel motorcycle, two in the front, one in the back. And... Um, and then I want a stipend for six months to travel and, and write articles and, and shoot videos and all this kind of stuff. And so I did that, but at the end, at the end of the six months, they signed us up for another year. So when I moved out here, that was like that was my day job. A lot of it was I would I would ride cross country and back, and then I would then I would spend time writing scripts. And um, but at Christmas in 2012, I guess they ended the program. They said, "Look, we're gonna you know we're gonna move, we're gonna do some different stuff with the marketing and so." And, and they had given me this motorcycle, this amazing thing. And I told my girlfriend, I said, look, I'm, I, either I'm gonna have to get like a regular job here in Orange County, right. uh, and, and, or I can sell the motorcycle. I can live off that money for a few months. I can invest it in some things that'll help me, you know, with uh, the career. But it means we'll have to we'll have to use your 15-year-old Mercury Sable. We'll have to share it while you're in school. And to so my girlfriend's credit, she was like, look, that's, you know, if that's what you wanna do, let's do it. 
So I sold the motorcycle, which was heartbreaking because it was, it was, it's like quitting therapy. Sure. Um, and <laughs> so uh, you, you run, I run the risk of being a little more homicidal and suicidal after getting rid of it. But um, so we, we went down to this one car, 15 year old Mercury Sable, had a busted headlight, no air conditioning, all this kind of stuff. And, and I used that money to enter, like to put the script up on the blacklist, to enter the tracking B contest. And I invested it in myself. And uh, so that was my gift to myself when I got the first big check. I bought, uh, I, I, mean, I put a down payment on, I bought a Ford Edge. And uh, and I was still driving back and forth from Orange County oh, up wow. to here for the writer's room for the first couple of months. And uh, so yeah, so that was nice. It was the first time like in, I mean, the first time in my entire adult life that I owned a new car. Right. The only new vehicle I'd owned before that was the motorcycle that had also been given to me. <laughs> right. But I just had to sell. So, um, so yeah, that was that was it. And then I did a lot of stuff for my family and just being able to like just kind of celebrate and take some people out to dinner who who would support me. That's the one thing. And I probably you know a lot of your listeners probably have the same this same kind of thing. And maybe you have this too, where it's like. I, throughout my life, I, was, I had so many people who would take me out to dinner, or who would, you know, and say like, "Ah, don't worry about it. You know, pay me back when you right. make it big, or whatever." Right, so, right, right. so it's been a two years of like, you know, paybacks for nice. that stuff, right? Nice. Yeah. Any plans to buy another Can Am? <laughs> oh, already did. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, that was my second season gift to myself. There you so go. So I did. I had a friend uh, named Monster who uh, customizes them and, and designs them, and he emailed me one day and he was like. I'm customizing these, this new model. Right. I think you owe it to yourself, you know, to, to get another one again. And it was at the right time. I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. And uh, and he deli- he delivered it to me here, and uh, brought his as well. So he and his wife and uh, me and my girlfriend, we went out riding out to Malibu. We went out to the rock store, to the ocean, and and uh, so it was like it was a it was a great reunion. It was after we wrapped the second season. I guess it was great. So yeah, I've got it now, and it's my like I'm back in therapy. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, wind therapy. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That sort of came, came full circle. Um, so that was a, that was a good gamble. You doubled down on yourself, and I tell you, man, that's like I, mean, I hear that from so many people too. It's you know, like you, you, you always bet on yourself. If if you know that you are willing to stick it out and do it and put in the work, and right. you always bet on yourself. Yeah, and I and I, and I believe that now more than ever because of that exactly that situation. Sure. sure. So you've got um, um, a win- what's it called? Winters. Uh, Winter King. Yeah. And what else? Do you have any other TV projects? Is it all feature stuff right now? I'm just kind of sort of looking at new new TV stuff, and I I'd had some ideas, and I started writing up some some concept documents for them to start to start sharing, and then uh, I'm finishing up one of those feature specs that is um, it's it's more of like a sci-fi action in the vein of uh, uh, you know something like The Matrix or something like that. Um, so yeah, so I finished up uh, I'm finishing up that as we as we speak. I'm got a new draft done and now we're just polishing it up so hopefully that'll start making the round soon and and, um, and yeah and then a couple other things like I said it's sort of, now it's just sort of like getting everything up to speed and, and, and what I'm realizing now I, I didn't have to do this because we, you know, we sold the show and I got so busy with that that was like all consuming right and now I'm understanding it's like you've got to you kind of put a lot of things in motion because this thing may take a year or two years and this thing may go immediately and right. So, uh, so yeah, I'm really now just kind of starting to figure that out. Now, 
I know the, the, the town loves to sort of compartmentalize and assign you a, like you're a science fiction guy, you did that you must be a science fiction guy. Has that happened to you? And, and if so, how do you sort of branch out? Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, I think to a certain extent that's like, it's ex that's what everybody's looking for right. from me next. Uh, I mean, the good news for me is like, I love it so sure. much and that's kind of what I, I feel like I do the best. And, uh, it's certainly right now. It's where my so I, but you know, like the first movies I made, I, I made a drama that was about two brothers who entered a boxing contest. I made a movie, a comedy about guys in a softball team. Um, I had written some other specs. This win, you know, the Winter King is like this family adventure thing. I'd written a comedy spec uh, for this um, contest that was started by the Writers Store that was based on a log line by Susanna Grant. There was just like an industry insider contest. That was a comedy. There was like a backstage comedy, and. Um, I, one of the other scripts I had on the blacklist was a crime fiction script. It was kind of like a crime anthology. So I was sort of interested in all these other things. And I had a meeting with a manager based on a script from the blacklist. And he, he asked me, so what else do you have? And I told him, well, I've got this comedy that I just, I'm, I'm a finalist in this contest with. Uh, I have another script from the blacklist that's making the round. I have this sci-fi pilot. And, uh, and I could tell that he was like, mm, that's, you, know, like you don't really know yourself as a writer. And he was like, well, let me read the other stuff and we'll kind of see where you fit. But the meeting took a turn in that in that moment that was like, they want somebody who's, who knows who they are, what they do well, because that's like one itself. And so I kind of made the decision right then. I was like, whatever gets through the gate, that's what I'm going to be right. as long as I have to be it. Uh, but I think the cool thing is that uh, going back to Alexander Hamilton, the musical, <laughs> right. uh, which is the, uh, the power of the pen, which is that if you want to break out of that box, you just have to do it. Like, you may have to spec it, you may have to do it on the weekends and night, but if you write an amazing, if you're a sci-fi writer and you write an amazing drama or you write a mind-blowing period you know, a Western or something like that too, I have to believe that people, they at the end of the day, they want great scripts. And and you can you could punch your way out of that box. Sure. So maybe I'm delusional, but I have to believe that's the case. No, I, absolutely. And I haven't seen. I guess I'm trying to think of anybody that I've seen do that 100% recently. And I haven't. I mean, somebody like there are filmmakers like Danny Boyle, who's one of my favorite filmmakers. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely you know, brilliant. He can do anything he wants. He, he's kind of bounced from genre to genre, and it's always like you always know it's his movie. Right. And I, I'm, and writers like at my you know like I'm sort of just getting in, having one sale. I don't know. If, you know, I don't have that freedom yet, but uh, but 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 yeah, there are other stuff. There are other things I want to do, and so if, it, if I have to, I'll ride it on the weekends until it's really really great, and then I'll try to like punch out of that box. You know? What's your favorite Danny Boyle? Oh man, guy. Well, being a sci-fi guy, I love Sunshine so oh, yeah. much. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably that's probably way up there for me. And I saw Jobs, and the Jobs is really interesting. Uh, you, you know, kind of kind of fascinating to make that like three three sort of backstage events right. that visually appealing sure. uh, yeah, but that also feels fun. like half Danny Boyle half Aaron Sorkin because Aaron Sorkin's totally. voice is so strong yeah. in everything he does it's so Sorkin you know. right exactly <laughs> which I love because yeah, again he's like brilliant. and he's a guy that you know for me as a writer again I would read every script I, I, like his the, the pilot script for Studio 60 mm -hmm. is one of those scripts that I'll pull out two or three times a year and read it because it's so fucking good yeah. and so masterful in the way that he sets everything up and it's like you know like it's 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 intimidating and, and also like kind of exhilarating and inspiring at the same time and you go god this guy like 
So uh, he's he's one of those guys all, every time, yeah. and, and also because I love those people that have such a distinct voice. authorial voice right. in their dialogue too. Like Amy Sherman Palladino is another one yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I watch all of Bunheads. I kind of got my girlfriend was into Gilmore Girls. I kind of got in that late, but once I started watching a few episodes with her, I was obsessed with her dialogue and, and how she writes. And then I watched. Uh, you know, all of season one of Bunheads, and, and uh, for a middle-aged man, it's kind of like weird, but like <laughs> right. in the sense, I was like crushed when it didn't get picked up for a season two because that voice was so distinct and so unique, and so yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, I think my favorite is probably Shallow Grave. Yeah, really? Oh, yeah, that's a great one. It's I so, totally it's forgot so, about that it's one. So simple, but it's it's perfect on every level of what yeah. it is as a thriller. Like a classic, like Hitchcock or Cocky and exactly. kind of, yeah, yeah. 100%. yeah. I totally forgot about that one. Too. And, and you, I mean, I've, there's so many. He's got so many great ones at this point. Yeah, like, and, and even like uh, what was the name of that one with? Uh, they all have you and McGregor, but what was the one with uh, um, these two angels? Delroy Lindo and I think Holly Hunter, uh, where they play. Uh, I don't know that. Was that his? Strange, yeah, it's such a strange kind of film that like didn't do really well because it's really sort of out there. But I thought it was fantastic. I don't. I don't know if I know that yeah, one. I'll look it up and you know. I'll, yeah. I'll, you may have seen it already, but I mean, I'll, I'll look it up for you. Uh, he's a fascinating dude. Like I said, he's so lucky too because he gets to do memes. He can he can bounce around and do oh, yeah. and do sort of anything he wants. It seems which is oh, yeah, Slumdog cool. Movie yeah, Slumdog is great. Uh, Twenty eight days later, days of course, later. like you know, all time. That to me is an all time classic, Absolutely. right there. Absolutely, but like everything he does is um, it's a different genre, but it's all amazing. Yeah, it's not like he's really good at one genre and then try something out. Like, that was pretty good. Right. It's just like everything he does is like a clinic, and this is how. Yeah. Absolutely. You do have a Bollywood musical. <laughs> how you do yeah. it? It's just like, wow, how do you do that? Yeah, again, it's like one of those guys who just speaks a different a different language. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, he did the one uh, 27 Hours, too, right? The one with uh, oh, the James Franco about the Aaron Ralston, the yeah, guy yeah, who you know, yeah, cut yeah, off yeah. his own arm. Exactly. And again, like, he's a filmmaker who could take that story about a guy trapped in a canyon with his arm and, and make it visually, like, you know, fascinating. Absolutely. Keep it interested in it. Yeah, that was just what a great story too. I like that. I was always more so morbidly fascinated with that idea because I don't think I can do it. I think I, I would die yeah. there. <laughs> and sometimes, to me, also taking the simplest story and making it interesting is a super hard thing to do. Um, like, if when I get asked, well, what is your favorite episode of television? Yeah, and mine is uh, an episode of Homicide. Oh. Oh man, I gotta see. We have the same one. Go for it. It's the one with Vincent D'Onofrio where he's trapped in the subway. Oh, yeah, that's a great. He gets one. hit and he's like stuck in the subway. Yeah, he gets you know, twisted around gets and twisted they know when around. they move him. Yeah. Yeah, and to me that episode encompasses because it's so different from most what you see. And granted, it's a bottle episode, obviously, because you know they're in the subway platform for the most of the episode. But to keep people entertained, the entire episode have the beginning, middle, and end of a guy getting hit yeah. by a subway, trapped underneath it, getting kind of twisted around, and. The, the whole, you know, there's this whole dynamic of he's there, wants to get out, is very angry, he's fully coherent, and the police detectives and the paramedics knowing that once the you moment get, they move that train, he's yeah, dead. Yeah, he's dead because all the blood will rush out. Yeah. And trying to find his wife, who's out jogging somewhere in the middle of New York or Baltimore, wherever it was, so that she could say goodbye to him before they remove the train before he dies. Really you know, I think that episode was one. I think it was based on a true story because no, I remember okay. reading 
this book that were like all true cop stories. Right. And I think, I'm not sure if it was, if, if the one I remember reading was happened in Chicago, but it was the same sort of thing. The cops, you know, the guy got twisted around. They knew like the moment they moved the train, all of his organs, everything, so like he's going to die. Right. And so, um, but I think that episode may have been written by a guy, Eric Overmeyer, who's a playwright, who is, is one of those kind of guys who was like a really great kind of gritty playwright too. So, so it was written by a guy who was who was used to sort of being rooted in theater, kind of in one spot, you know, and like really heightening the drama. That that was a fantastic episode of that show. What is your favorite? Mine is the one where Corsetti died. Okay. Um, and 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 there was a moment I'll never forget this watching it because it's like I remember like being on the cat. I'm first of all I'm I'm a I'm a crier. <laughs> I'm gonna fully admit to this. Uh, and I was telling somebody that talking about something this today, like videos, you know, where like the soldiers come back home and surprise their loved ones, right. like instant cry kryptonite for me. I like I cry every time. But there was an episode where uh, Crosetti died and and he'd committed suicide mm-hmm. and and so none of the cops were allowed to wear their dress uniforms to the funeral because you know it was against the you know against the code or whatever because he'd committed suicide. Right, 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 right. And uh, and Andre Brower's character, you know, Pendleton who was kind of like a dick and kind of butted heads with with Corsetti the whole time, didn't go to the funeral. And everybody was like, why aren't you going to the funeral? And, and what a dick, you know, you're not showing up. And, this, and he didn't go. And there's the, the funeral procession. They were taking it right past the police headquarters. And they were all walking with the casket and all these guys in their suits and stuff. And when they turned the corner, Pimbleton was standing on the steps of the, of the police department with his dress uniform on, saluting. And I remember just like crying, like, you know, like just like a big baby at that. And thinking like, man, if I write one moment that is that powerful, that is that perfect, done. Like, yeah, I'll check out of the universe. I'm good, you know. I'm going home. See, I'm like tearing up right now. (laughs) But that, that was my favorite. And I mean, that that show was so brilliant on so oh, yeah, many levels. Absolutely. It's one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, absolutely. That. Did you watch the whole thing? Were you into it all the way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you. I think it's one of those things where, like, The Wire. Once you get yeah. into or, or Breaking Bad, once you get into, you can't really stop. No, no. It, it, you're just gonna go for the whole ride. No, it's yeah. yeah. It's it's entertainment heroin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Call call everything else off. I'm I'm here. Yeah, and I mean, you know, talking about like. Specific voices like uh, you know Amy Sherman Palladino or or Aaron Sorkin. I don't know if dialogue, you know, from like David Simon or Vince Gilligan is as identifiable. But the themes, yeah. the tones, and the feel of the emotional you know moments that they have, they, they definitely stand out. You know, in terms of again. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think it's like you either have that or you don't. You're like David Mamet. You know, yeah. Amy Sherman Palladino, Tarantino's got it. Tarantino. I, yeah. Like I know I don't have it. I'm mine is always in service of uh, uh, it's it's. I try to be as spare and as simple as possible. Right, I mean, but it's not distinctive in that way, you know. And so, I, I and so I'm always kind of admire the people that that is just like. I think we always admire what we're not. Yeah, of, absolutely, know? absolutely. Because at the same time, you know, we're talking about dialogue, but I don't think that. I mean, Vince Gilligan has some great lines. I mean, there's some great lines throughout, but I still don't. I, I I'm a fan of Vince Gilligan more for again talking about. Story and his storytelling, yeah. just the way the stories kind of unfold, uh, and how he looks at the world from you know like all those brilliant little character moments, character beats. You know, um, so I was talking about the, like the moment of where Walter White is making his sandwich and cutting off the crust yeah. of his sandwiches, and that's such a little 
a thing, but it tells you so, so much, much about who that guy is yeah. and his, yeah, it's, and how precise. And there's a little moment where he's in the hospital waiting room, and the table is kind of is off, oh, off right. kind of balance, and he something. yeah, yeah like, the thing under like I mean yeah, and like that to me is I see that stuff and go, God, how do you even think about those? How things? do you even think about that stuff? Yeah, brilliant. It's fantastic. Um, and he seems like a really nice guy too. That's other you know, right. watching him. And he, he seems like a genuinely like great human being. Anyone that I've ever met that has met him or knows him says the same thing. <clears throat> and if you look uh, on his show, <clears throat> excuse me, any of his shows, um, a lot of the younger staff writers all started as writers assistants. He promotes from within. Yeah. And not all showrunners do that. But you know, in fact, I think I'm, yeah, I'm just talking about my ass about so much of this stuff. <laughs> it's probably all like. You know, people are going to be fact-checking me left and right. But I think the guy who wrote the episode of Better Call Saul that was based on Mike, it was like oh, right. Mike's story. Did you watch Better Call Saul? Yeah, absolutely. So the one, you know, it's like Mike's story. I think that was a guy who had moved up from an assistant position. It was probably my favorite hour of television this year. Yeah, and so... Now, yeah, are you talking right. about the episode where it's like the story about his son? Yeah, his backstory. Right, exactly. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I mean, that episode was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was, that to me was like, that's great literature, you know, too. And it's so hard, I think, because there's so many great characters in Breaking Bad and in Better Call Saul. It's like technically Saul's show, but, you know, Mike is such a great yeah. character, you know. Well, yeah, and he got his, but that was what was cool about it. He got his own his own hour. Yeah. And it's sort of deep in our whole understanding of who he is and what he does. Right. And uh, I think that you know, The Leftovers does that really well right now, too, where they, where there are so many great characters, such a tight ensemble, but they'll take this detour, you know, these detours, they're doing even more in the second season, where they'll focus on one character and really look at the whole prism, you know, thing through their prism. And I, right. it's, a, it's a really awesome way to, to do it. What show are you talking about? Leftovers. I haven't seen that. Oh, you gotta watch it. Have to watch it. It's so great. It goes on my list. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm sure we both have lists that are just out of control because there's so much good TV out there. I always say, kind of half joking, knock on wood. <laughs> but like, I, you know, if I could just like break a leg or something and be laid <laughs> up, in, you know, for like three or four weeks, where I could just catch up on, you know, the Orange is the New Black, which I haven't seen a single episode of, or you know, some of these great shows. I mean, yeah, right. I can use it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just getting caught up on uh, Walking Dead. Oh, you know, I'm like three seasons behind on that. I think I saw the first two full seasons. I think that's where I stopped. Okay, well, so good. So yeah. fantastic. I mean, it's it, it's weird because it switches tonally yeah. all over the place because they change showrunners all the time, but it's all consistently... Have you watched the new one, Fear the Walking Dead? I haven't seen it yet. I'm waiting to finish up this season of Walking Dead. I think I'm... I don't know. I think episode six just aired or something like that. Um, I'm, although I, I'm an episode or two behind, and then once I finish that, I'll go back and yeah, uh, loop back and finish. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I heard it was amazing. Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen any of it yet. Well, what show other than Leftover? What show that you watch and love? What should I be watching? Oh man. You know, it's funny because I watch a lot of comedy. I do too, right? Too. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I watched The Last Man on Earth, which I think is pretty yeah. brilliant. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah. That's another one that is so kind of strange, out of left field, out of the box. Uh, I'm really loving The Muppets new show. I haven't seen it. It's, it's so great. You know, like the first episode, it's kind of like, it's a little jarring because it maybe isn't necessarily The Muppets that you exactly remember. It's a little, but, um, but episode by episode, it gets better and better. And uh, the one that was last night was like one of the best ones so far. Um, and I'm trying to think of what else I've seen. I mean, 
Have you seen The Grinder? No, I haven't seen that at all. That is probably the best comedy I think this season. I've heard that's great. It's fantastic. I, saw, I, I jumped into everything, like, at least the first couple episodes of um, Supergirl, which I thought was yeah. great. Um, Arrow, Flash, I love Flash. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, Leftovers is like every week. I, uh, Game of Thrones is my all time. I mean, that's the one right now. That when it's on, I so brilliant. Yeah, that's so brilliant. Out of yeah. I uh, I'm I'm totally addicted to that for any time it's on. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I watch. I like I said I watch a lot of comedy. I watch a lot of stand-up specials. And I just saw my wife and I just started watching. We're about four or five episodes into it. I guess it's only ten episodes though. Of Master of None, the new season. I watched the very first episode today. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it's hysterical. It's so kind of out of left field. And you know what I love about him is he's, it's like the character, it's kind of bucking against the trend. He's not, he's sweet. You know what I mean? He, is, like he also does things that, and says things that are just like, really? Right. You know, it's, it's sort of like a less oblivious version of Michael Scott from The Office. Right. You know? Exactly. But you know, like in the opening episode, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen yeah. it, but like in the opening scenes, there's, the, you know, there's this moment where this girl has to go do something that's like really difficult. And like the kind of dick move there were to be like, okay, well, I'm gonna call you a cab and go. But you know, like he goes and there's, and so that was the moment I was like, I kind of like it's not, it's not like the typical, kind of completely unaware, right. you know, kind of person, which is which is also funny. And that's like, but he's he's a little he's a little different. Yeah. Did you watch? Um, I think one of the shows I loved this year was Another Period. Did you see that on Comedy Central? No. Uh, and Natasha Leggero and uh, uh, Ricky Lindholm created it. It was basically like. Keeping up with the Kardashians, but it's set in like 1920s-ish Newport, kind of. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was like a Talking Heads, okay. you know, almost like a mockumentary kind of. Yeah, it was fantastic, documentary style. It's got all these great comic actors, like Thomas Lennon was in it, and oh, he's uh, Yeah, Jason Ritter was in it. It is. Yeah, it, that was one of my favorites here. Dark and strange, but hilarious. Yeah, anything that Thomas Lennon and you know Ben Grant, you know, oh. those guys. Everyone knows him as the Reno 911 guys, but right. they're the guys from the state. Have you read their book, The Writing Movies for Fun and I Profit? Oh, it's fantastic. Is it? Yeah. But you scratch out for fun, and it's just like writing movies for profit. Right, right. But um, but there's it's so there's so much great stuff in there for people who are like. I mean, I, I still like I'll flip through it even every now and then, kind of like. No, is it a, just a comedy joke, or is it like is there actually? No, yeah, it's actually there? great information okay. for writers in there for you know for screenwriters and it kind of especially like for people who are just absolute beginners they kind of you know kind of walk you through the basics of it and just enough to make you dangerous you know <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's, that's where yeah. you gotta be right exactly so that's awesome um it's probably almost time to play some games right yeah so we're probably wrap it up i gotta say burger time is calling my name that's a great one that is a great one and that's something that i don't you need more timing and less sort of coordination so it's right up my alley exactly <laughs> you know what i mean exactly so we're gonna wrap it up thank you so much biggie ah, thank awesome you as always Pleasure. Um, and uh, be sure to, to uh, what's, what's your Twitter handle? I don't have it oh, in front of me. Uh, Mickey Fisher 73. 73. And uh, yeah, and I think Mickey Fisher on Facebook or yeah, or find me wherever. Yeah, we, we have your links on our site anyway, so they can always go on the website. Oh, Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. No, always, always. So thank you all for listening. Rap is low and I'm passing the bar. All verses considered like I'm NP. Oh, and we are killing them. Everyone I roll with. Gunning for the top spot, the opposite of hopeless. My flow is the dopest of anyone in showbiz. No more riddling. I'm still so focused. So how'd I blow up so quick? Because I got the type of rhymes that keep